This is Sunday Skate with Scott McLaughlin and Andrew Razor Raycroft. Brought to you by Shaw's and Star Market. Perfecting the art of fresh on WEEI. Marshawn closes. Looks for a seam to Bergeron. Bergeron fights it clear. DeBrusque scores! Welcome back, Jake! really weird feeling actually before the game I felt that I was obviously focused and determined but I've been waiting for this day for a while and uh, yeah I just want to get a goal I just want to get a first one it was it was great play by Marshy and to get that even after the goal felt a little bit weird to be out there uh, the game of hockey it's at such a high pace and there's lots of different reads and things and uh, it was a good feeling out game for sure it was a big one by our team season is over, so Sunday Skate returns. I'm Scott McLaughlin from WEI and WEI.com, here with Andrew Raycroft. You know him as Nesson Analyst, former Bruins goalie, host of the Morning Brew podcast. Oh, got it in. WEI contributor, everything. <laughs> we got we got Bridget Prue behind the glass, my fellow Skate Pod co-host. Uh, we're going to get into lots of stuff. Plenty of trade rumors now with just under two weeks until the trade deadline. We will touch on uh, apparently the favorite Bruins topic of this station now over the last few days, which has been the possibility of trading Jeremy Swayman. We will get to that. But, Razor, I want to start with the games on the ice because I think this past week has been a big one for the Bruins. Uh, they had lost four or five wrapped around the All-Star break. That That was the thing that happened. They bounced back this week with... Three big wins. They beat a really good Dallas Stars team on the road. You know, Western Conference leading Stars. They blow out the Nashville Predators. And then yesterday they blow out the New York Islanders 6-2. to two. Jake DeBrusque returns. We just heard the call of his goal early in the game. Uh, get a lot of depth scoring. But I felt like, you know, look, these weren't must wins. Their, their record's too good to have must wins at this point. But they did need to get back on track and not let those losses uh, pile up any more than they were. Exactly. We knew they were going to have a stretch where they lost four or five or they got points and didn't get wins. And you just want to make sure that it wasn't going to be eight of nine games that they lost. You didn't want, you wanted to make sure that the luster hadn't, you know, gone away while they were in the Bahamas and in Turks and Caicos on their all-star breaks. So, so yeah, in those respects, it, it was important this week to to bounce back from the the Washington loss and the sluggishness of of coming out of that break. And I think the Dallas game is the big one for them to come from behind on the road against a big, strong, long team that is playoff ready. That that shows you that this group is. And without Jake DeBrusque, I think that's uh, Jake DeBrusque coming back Saturday is also the the secondary point of the week. In uh, but but that win in Dallas shows you that this group can play a hard game on the road, find a way to win games three, games four of a series in the first round without having their best and coming from behind and having to kill off a five on three, a four on three. That that shows the moxie of the group. And then Jake DeBrusque coming back yesterday scores on the first power play automatic. The puck starts moving around a little bit better. He gets it to the front of the net and. 
you feel relief in the fact that this group, oh, yeah, it, it is really deep. Oh, when everyone gets slotted properly in the lineup, oh, they are really hard to play against. Oh, they do have all the matchups. Oh, Trent Frederick can play center at some point in his career. Oh, this all kind of works out really well. Yeah, and it's crazy when you think about it was exactly one year ago today Jake DeBrus got demoted to the fourth line. He was in a prolonged slump that was going on almost two months. He had the open trade request, and it was right around this time that he started to turn things around last season. Uh, a couple games later, he gets promoted to the first line and really hasn't looked back. He finished last year strong, you know, rescinds the trade request over the summer. Uh, obviously, you know, there is the link to Bruce Cassidy getting fired. I don't think the timing was a total coincidence there. Uh then ha- is having a great season. He's playing the best hockey of his career before he gets hurt. And, you know, when he when he first went down, you you didn't think the Bruins missed him all that much right away because they're still beating up on some bad competition. I think this, you know, this mini slump that they went through facing some tougher competition, you start to see how important DeBrusque is, and you start to see that, yeah, they actually do miss him. Uh, you know, they kind of struggle to fill that spot on the top line without him, uh, you know, Craig Smith would have some good games, and other times he'd be a little quiet like he has been uh, for a lot of this season. They'd move Pasenak up, but then that would take away from Krejci and Zach on the second line. You know, they tried the Taylor Hall experiment, flipping him to the right side. That didn't really go well. And then when you just mentioned the power play, you know, that was struggling. It was 0 for 20, and they had broken out of it Thursday night. They got a power play goal from Berger on Thursday night. But you see that right away yesterday, how important DeBrusque is where he's so good in that net front role and not just in the sense that he can screen the goalie or deflect shots, but he makes plays. He makes plays in tight. They can run plays through him, and he's so much more dynamic than you know some of the op- other op- options that they tried there. No question. He's, his ability to retrieve pucks, his ability to have the hockey sense necessary at the top of that crease to be able to recognize when it's a rebound, when he has to open up to take a pass, when he has to get down to the corner to be an option to relieve pressure. And the other point of, of Jake DeBrus being out of the lineup is is Thomas Nosek. So, so when you lose both of those guys, I think what we saw is a team that's really, really good that won 10 of 11 games. But then you also saw what happens in the National Hockey League when you have a bunch of injuries and guys are playing out of their position for an extended period of time of more than one week or more than three or four or five games. And the season starts piling up and it starts to compound. You can't get out of these little slumps without getting healthy guys back. And that's why injuries are such a big issue in the league. If you lose someone for five, six weeks, at some point that does catch up to you. And the Bruins have been fortunate to this point to only have it happen to DeBrusque. But I think we saw it a little bit with Forbert as well when he was out of line. The PK started to struggle at the end because you have guys in and out of that position that that really can't sustain it. So very important to have Jake back. And the timing of it is good because... Don Sweeney, the organization, can really see this team for what they are for four, five, six games and have that refreshed in their brains while they're making decisions going into the trade deadline. Yeah, because we've also seen some teams at least start the process of closing the gap on the Bruins. And, you know, whether that's on the ice with teams like Tampa and Carolina beating them just before the All-Star break and 
you know, maybe gaining a little confidence in that head-to-head matchup, or the Rangers going out and trading for Vladimir Tarasenko, the Maple Leafs going out and trading for Ryan O'Reilly. Those are big trades. Those are teams that are saying we're in it. You know, we're not we're not just going to roll over and let the Bruins win the conference. Like they're not subscribing to the theory that this is the Bruins' year. So you see those teams making those moves. And, you know, when the Bruins lose a few games, you kind of start to wonder, okay, like, how much better are they really than some other teams in conference? How big is that gap? And to your point, now you get to brush back and you get that full reading of exactly where you are. Uh, and just, again, these three big wins help your group get confidence again that, yeah, we're still the best. Yet These other teams are making moves, they might pick off a win from us here and there, but we're still the team that's that's being chased. These guys are all trying to get to our level. They're better than everybody. They, they really are. The Carolina's close. Carolina will be a, a tough matchup, but the way the the way it's going to set up this season also changes some of the narrative that we had last year where they not quite sure. Are they getting Tampa? Are they getting Carolina? We sat here a year ago and talked about what the best matchup was for them. Now it's kind of irrelevant because Toronto and Tampa are going to play each other. So who knows who wins that? You don't know who you're getting in the second round if you want to play this game. And then obviously you're not seeing New York, Carolina, New Jersey. You're not going to see any of those teams. You're not going to see two of them for sure. One of them you're not going to see until eight weeks into the playoffs and who knows what everyone looks like at that point. So that's also the beauty of the trade deadline talk and, and the matchups and are these teams closing the gap? The, the reality is we talk about five, six, seven teams. It only matters two of them. And, and that's in the best case scenario for those teams and for the Bruins. So it does change. I, I feel like the matchup playoff matchup, that narrative and, and who's good in the East changes a lot compared to what we talked about last year, because the Bruins aren't going to have to worry about it until at least 14 days into the Stanley Cup playoffs. And then, we, as we know, the second round is a complete different animal than the first. So uh, it, it is it is a luxury where the Bruins are, and, and to have that ability to let the other teams beat each other up rather than being the one that's in a situation where they're playing the Leafs in the first round, they're playing Carolina in the first round, and they're part of that 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 war of attrition of the first round, they they get to jump over that a little bit this season. Not to say it's a cakewalk. I won't say that because one of these teams in the wild card are, are gonna we're gonna be able to talk ourselves into ways of how they're tough matchups for the Bruins, but it's not to the same level of Carolina like last season. Yeah, to your point, like just looking at the standings, both divisions in the Eastern Conference, the top three have completely separated themselves. Yeah, they're you know, locked. T- Tampa's third in the Atlantic, and they are 11 points ahead of fourth place Florida. Rangers are third in the Metropolitan, and they're 12 points ahead of Pittsburgh and the Islanders. So you have all these teams bunched up battling for the wildcard spots, battling for those last two spots. Uh, But yeah, the top three set in in the Bruins division, most likely they're set as the number one seed. You know, the 13 points clear of Toronto, nothing's clinched yet, but you pretty much know to your point like it's going to be toronto versus tampa so one of them is getting knocked out right away um that's crazy yeah it is absolutely nuts that and again on the other side it's the rangers i feel very comfortable saying it's going to be the rangers and it's going to be new jersey carolina's five points up i think we we've seen how hard it is to gain five points on a good team 
at this time of year. It just it feels like it's only well, it's only three games you have to win, but it, it, you're just not you, you are what you are at this point, and five points is a lot to catch up. So with that side, we've got New Jersey and the Rangers playing each other, and as surprising as New Jersey's been, they've they've had some struggles mid season, and then they've been in, found ways to turn it around, and they have. A twenty-one, four, and three record on the road. Like they're going to be a tough out as well. So, though all these these first round matchups are, are essentially locked in at the two, three spots in both divisions. Yeah. So, as we look around the conference, mentioned what the Rangers and Leafs have done. We're going to get into what the Bruins need to do. But Razor, what do you think we've learned about this team recently as their depth has been tested? Are are they good? Do they need to add? Well, they're going to add. It, that is just because you have to add. You have to do a little something at the deadline. Now, I, I am not the subscriber. Uh, you don't need a Vladimir Tarasenko. You, you, you don't. There's not anything that you look at this lineup and they specifically need X, Y, and Z, which which is nice. It's a it's a great uh, it's a great luxury to have. But certainly you need depth. You need guys that are willing to be 13 forward, 7. Diff- the, the, the back end always is going to be an injury. And, and they've been so fortunate to have all six of them playing as well as they have. But it's, it's the law of averages when you're playing 28 playoff games that someone's going down. And, and when you, you have the, the expectations the Bruins have, there, are, there is depth necessary. Uh, but I, I don't see where it's like they need a right wing for the power play or they need that. That's the, the beauty that that Don Sweeney has is that he can put a few different lines in the in the water and, and see what comes up from that. Are you surprised at all, by the way, that obviously it's great that they've had their six defensemen healthy, but that they haven't even made an attempt to do any sort of rotation or get a guy like Jacobs of Borrell in or even, you know, Mike Riley and Anton Strawman and down in Providence like. Because I look at that and it's like, well, those guys have all played in the NHL and could potentially be dev pieces that help you at some point. But I don't know how you could possibly have a clear read on just where those guys are because it's been so long since any of them have played in it in an NHL game. They don't have a clear. They they have a pretty good read internally. I would say. I think they they've formed opinions about all of these players. I think it's still been too early for them to worry about that. Uh, just the way the schedule is lined up, we talked about the four tough games prior to the break. Then you have the break. Now it's been every other day. The schedule hasn't been too taxing. Wait till February 27th, essentially. And that that essentially starts locking in load management. February 27th, the Bruins play in Edmonton. 28th, they're playing in Calgary. That's probably a night where they're like, okay, we're going to start load managing. Someone's jumping in the lineup. Someone's jumping out in Calgary on the Tuesday night. And then they have five other back-to-backs after that. So you've got afternoon games through March. And what what do we got? One, two, three, four, six afternoon games, seven afternoon games. So you're going to see that load management in March. Up until now, you want to keep extending. You want home ice advantage, so you still have to keep extending. You don't want to let that gap get any more than seven points. But I think they're going to start making assessments on guys and, and getting more people like us a Borrell in the lineup and get them a little bit playoff ready, if necessary, in the next six weeks. All right. We're off and running here on Sunday Skate. You can join us. Phone number 9... 9- 
617-779-7937. And text in 37937. We'll be back with more. We're going to do trade talks, so plenty of that coming up. It's Scott McLaughlin, Andrew Raycroft on Sunday Skate. Your home of the Sox. Now, here's what's trending on WEEI. Trending now on WEI and WEI.com. Brought to you by Shaw's and Star Market, the official supermarket of the Red Sox radio network. The Bruins completed a 6-2 win over the Islanders yesterday with Jake DeBrus scoring in his first game back after missing 17 games. Trent Frederick added two goals and Pasternak added his 300th career assist. The Bruins will play next tomorrow. A 1 p.m. puck drop against the Ottawa Senators on President's Day. Tonight, the NBA All-Star Game tips off in Salt Lake City at 8.30 p.m. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum will represent the Celtics. The Celtics play next in Indy four days from now on Thursday, February 23rd at 7 p.m. I'm Bridget Pru, and that's what's trending now on WEI and WEI.com. WEI, WEI, New England Sports Original. This is Sunday Skate on WEI. Save us as a favorite on the Odyssey app. And take Boston Sports Original everywhere you go. That's a really good acquisition by Toronto. It makes them significantly better. They got three big-time centers now, and they got a guy that, uh, you know, I, I just, I know Ryan really well, and O'Reilly's a, a really really good hockey player and he's someone that cares about winning and has a lot of winning habits to his game. From a dressing room standpoint, when other teams are adding, is there a feeling in the room that, okay, now we have to maybe add somebody as well, or do you feel comfortable where you are? No, we're really comfortable. Uh, You know, I still would take our roster over anybody else's, so we're comfortable. All right, that was Jim Montgomery pregame yesterday uh, was asked about the Toronto Maple Leafs trade for Ryan O'Reilly and Nolachari, by the way, also in that trade. Another guy Bruins fans are very familiar with. O'Reilly brings back some bad memories if you're a Bruins fan. He was terrific against them in the 2019 Stanley Cup final. Uh, went head-to-head with Patrice Bergeron's line a lot that series. Wins the Conn Smythe Trophy as playoff MVP. Now that was four years ago. Uh, he's not quite the same player now. He was having a down season before the trade. Uh, just returned from a broken foot. But th- three points in three games with St. Louis before the trade. And, you know, the Leafs can really use him in a bunch of different ways. They, The first game with him last night, they had him as uh, number two center with Tavares actually bumping over to the wing. But they could put him as the number three center, and he immediately would be one of the best number three centers in the league. He could play wing. It does make that Leafs forward group a lot deeper, and I think the natural reaction razor is that a lot of times when you see these division rivals, a potential playoff opponent make a big trade like this, is, well, you have to respond. You have to do something. Do the Bruins have to respond, or is that a little bit of overreaction? No, it's... it's, it's I mean, that's what we do at this time of year. We overreact. It's certainly an overreaction because, again, at the end of the day, you want to have the best roster on March 4th. And you listen to Montgomery, and, and it's hard to argue that just the because the Bruins made their roster better in September rather than March, it, it's kind of irrelevant. And I think it also goes it, – it's, it's also a different situation because Toronto – had an obvious need, and that was Ryan O'Reilly and Nolachari. 
They needed those two players. It was very obvious they needed that up front. They had a bad bottom six. It's been disrupted all year long. Nolachari solidifies that. And, and to that point, Ryan O'Reilly can solidify that. But they needed a winner in that lineup. That Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, these guys have won nothing. So they needed a winner, and they needed a guy in the bottom six who can be physical, who can get in on the forecheck, can play a tough game, who can kill penalties. They got that in both of those players. So it was very easy for them to target what they needed, go out, pay a pretty big sum for two rental players. That's it. There's a lot of talk. Like They gave up a lot for two guys that can go away in six weeks. They can lose to Tampa in the first round. They're going to have no draft picks next year. And obviously the management doesn't care about that because they're fired if, if they don't win that first round. So that's the difference in this scenario. And the same with the Tarasenko deal. I see that that was an obvious need. They were the Rangers were they went and tried to get Trocek didn't work in the offseason. So they had to make another move to get a right winger for Panarin and that line and that power play. And Tarasenko was an obvious choice. So they went out and did whatever they had to do to get that guy. Like we've talked about, the Bruins don't have that obvious need. So they have different ways, different kind of players that they can get, but it isn't like, oh, no, Bruins really needed a third-line center and really needed depth in their bottom four. The Leafs beat us to that. Now what do we do? That isn't the situation here, and that's why I don't think it's uh, – you. we can overreact a little bit. The other point is is they're not playing the Leafs in the first round. So it's like, all right, whatever. Let them do their thing and, and see what happens. Yeah, and you know I do think there's – a danger in being too comfortable, though, mm-hmm. which I, I don't think the Bruins are. Like, I don't think they're taking that approach. But at the same time, if you're Don Sweeney, you know, you're not just resting in, on your laurels where it's, hey, I, I had a good offseason, you know, putting this roster together. We have a great record. You know, I can just sit back and whatever falls into our lap, you know, I'll pick up a scrap on March 3rd. Like, you don't want to do that either. You still want to be exploring every option and, you know, whether – that is just depth, as we mentioned, which you can never have too much of. Or if there's an impact trade to be made, you know, for a, I don't want to say bigger name, but, you know, for an, a higher in the lineup type player that makes sense, I'm still all for that. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be out there. Some of the prices sound pretty crazy. Even, you know, to your point about what the Leafs gave up, like, I, I guess I really only care about the first round pick, and that's probably going to be in the 20s anyways. But they did give up four draft picks, uh, you know, one, a couple of them really just to retain salary. And that does leave you a little depleted when it comes to draft capital going forward and adding prospects. Um, but, yeah, they're all in. And, and if I'm the Bruins, I'm, I'm fine with trading any draft pick this season. Like you're, you're trying to win. So, yeah, they don't want to trade another first-round pick. They've gone without one three of the last five years. Uh, we know they don't have a great prospect pool, but if there's a deal out there that makes sense, like you've you've got to be willing to do that, and you've got to at least be exploring every option. That's yes, no. There's no question about that, and we know the Bruins are. Uh, there's there's no doubt in my mind that that Don Sweeney isn't on the phone, maybe right this second. And if he came out and 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 threw a press conference this afternoon and said, "No, we're all set. We're not making a deal at the deadline." Yes, that would probably concern a little bit where they're complacent and they really feel like I don't see that happening. I don't see that being the case. They want to make their team better every single day and they see and recognize that, that need. So, so no, that that's, that's not the situation. They just didn't need O'Reilly. They didn't need a Chari. So he goes, they go to the Leafs and, and now you, you continue to work the lines and, and see what else is out there.
And Razor, don't you think, though, that if you're, you know, you don't want to stay complacent at the deadline, but you also, when you're thinking about making one of those bigger moves for an impact guy, is the, does the issue become not making your team worse if you have to move, say, a defenseman? Or in the case, like like you mentioned earlier, Scott, you know, the, the idea that Jeremy Swayman could be packaged in part of the deal, oh, um, which Scott and, I both, Scott and I both disagree with. But, um, you know, you also have to make sure you're not, hurting your team by going too hard um, on for, for a guy that you think is going to impact the team, but you don't want to change things up too much in your active roster. No question. And, and you're also bringing players in, don't forget, into a line. Okay, so so you bring in a, a defenseman. Who are you taking out of this six? Who they, They've played so well. So if there isn't an injury, who's coming out of this top six the way they've played? You bring in a top nine forward. Who's coming out of that top nine? of this Bruins team now that DeBrusque is back that makes you better than what they are right now. So so yes, you want to have depth, but you also it's not who's kind I don't see anyone coming out of the lineup for some of these guys and that's that's the also tug and pull of it where do some of these unrestricted free agent guys want to come here from a bad team who are playing top 4 minutes and be a seventh defenseman? That might not necessarily be a, a right fit to have to bring in a guy in who's going to become the seventh D man who doesn't really want to be a seventh D man who's kind of angry who's kind of annoyed who doesn't fit in with this group and you mess up chemistry by bringing a bad attitude in the lineup. So there's a lot more than just getting a guy and plugging him in the lineup because there aren't holes here for that kind of a situation. Right, and like so that's where a guy like I think Luke Shen probably makes more sense than maybe a Vladislav Gavrikov. Never mind the the reports that the asking price for Gavrikov is a first, a third, and a fourth, which I wouldn't give up a first-round pick straight up for Gavrikov. I think he's a perfectly fine defenseman in Columbus. But, you know, to your point about, like, what they already have on defense, is Vladislav Gavrikov a clear upgrade over what you already have? He might be. He might turn into that. But you don't know that for a fact. So, and that's a guy who's a going to be a unrestricted free agent. Like, is he going to be happy if he's battling with Forbert and Clifton for ice time? Uh, you know, Luke Shen has done that before. At least he he was the seventh D on Tampa's back to back Cup teams. He's older. You know, he knows it's probably not a ton of time left for him as like a certainly not like a top four guy on a good team. So he might be more open to something like that. Um, all right, so we touched on the idea of trading off the current roster and, you know, do you do that if it means, like, a real true upgrade? And what has become the hottest topic on this station that really started with Jermaine Wiggins on the Greg <laughs> Hill Show. Uh, but here's the thing. I don't blame Wiggy for this because this is what Wiggy does. Wiggy would be the most chaotic general manager <laughs> in sports history if he, if he were a GM. Oh, it'd be great. He, he wants to trade everyone. He wants to sign Cam Newton to $100 million extensions all over the place. Who, who I blame for this getting legs is Mike Milbury because he gave it some, some credence when Wiggy asked him about it, and that is the idea of potentially trading Jeremy Swayman. And, Bridge, I think we have uh, Milbury's audio here. If you believe that Olmark is going to continue on this path and you, you want to make a huge splash, uh, then you have a chip that's not going to hurt you in your present run to a Stanley Cup in Swayman. If you want to get somebody that's 
going to make an immediate impact, and maybe a guy that's going to make an impact for the future, you're going to have to give up a, a solid asset. And right now, he's a very solid asset. He's he, I'd hate to let him go, but you, you, if you really want to make a charge at this thing, you have to put him in the, the bag of assets that you're willing to discuss. A- assets, by the way, just, just to clarify. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I want to get yours first, Razor. Well, yeah, so no. <laughs> I mean, no, they're, they're, that's not. And, and why, I guess, is the reason why I don't see it as an option. We can debate. Do you need another goal? Do you need Jeremy Swayman if Leonis is playing? Like, I have a lot of opinions about that as well. But if you just want to break it down and say we, you don't, then the issue is what? who are you trading him for? And, and that's the big thing. And, and I think if they had an absolute necessity as first-line center, second-line center this week to get, then that might bring people like Jeremy Swayman into the mix. But because they don't need, they don't need to make a big splash. And, and that's where Mike's talking about if they want to make a big splash, if they want to really take a run at this, they don't need to do that like some of these other teams have had to do, which is why Jeremy's not going anywhere. Now, let me back into that as well in how important Jeremy Swayman is and is going to be this season and, and not even regarding what he is for the future of this team and, and how much this organization thinks of him and and how great I think he can be going down the future. Just this season, they have 27 games now in the next 53 days. They're planning on playing 28 playoff games in the 50 games starting playoffs. You're going to need them. You're going to need another goaltender at some point who can play that has the confidence, and there's no one better than Jeremy Swayman at this point. They have by far the best goaltending tandem in the NHL. You don't mess with that at this point because all it takes – is an MCL injury to knock out Allmark, and then you're sitting there staring at yourself in the mirror saying, why we had this all set up perfectly, and now what do we do? No, our, he's our, not going anywhere. <laughs> Gang, he's not going anywhere. So it's okay. For first caller of the Sunday skate season, you know who it is. It's Maria oh, like, from Watertown. I was looking forward to talking to Maria all morning. Yep, and I believe she has a thought on uh, this Swayman topic. Hi, Maria. Oh. Hi guys, how are you this morning? We're good. Uh, just just on this whole topic of conversation, it, it, it's amazing to me that some talk show radio hosts think that the rest of us have no recollection and no memories of what they've said in the past. <laughs> so these these are the very same people who were have been crapping all over Tukarask for years perpetuating a narrative that you can't rely on him in the playoffs. So now the Bruins have two outstanding goaltenders in a year, by the way, which these very same people say, you need to go all in, you need to go all in. So why in all of what's holy, would you talk about trading either one of those guys right now? You want to talk about the off season? That's a very different conversation very different conversation but it's just like it's it's such fodder that i i can't even listen to it sometimes i literally turn the radio off um so that's what i have to say about that and then my question to you guys related to the trade deadline is um you know i'm reading and hearing a lot of things about who the bruins or, or don sweeney is in on and it seems like 
he's looking more at um, getting some depth for the left side of the defense, which does lead me to believe that maybe he is a little concerned about um, past playoff performances by some players. And so my question to you is, how realistically do you think he can possibly do that without moving someone off the current roster to make cap space to do so? Because I just don't see how the numbers can work for this team. They are so up against it right now. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, Maria. Uh, you know, that's why, again, someone like Shen, who's making under a million dollars, that's easy to fit in. You start aiming bigger, you're right. Someone is going to have to come off, whether it's the active roster or just a cap hit. You know, you still have part of Mike Riley's cap hit working against you, even though he's in Providence. Um, you know, we've talked about, like, Craig Smith. You wonder, you know, is that a salary you would consider moving out? Guys that they've put on waivers that went unclaimed. So, you right. know, th- those. So if, yeah. if they go unclaimed, how do you deal them? Like, that, that to me tells me, you know, there's no interest in those players. And if that's the solution that you're looking at, who's going to willingly accept um, taking those players off your hands in order to create the cap space that you need? So I'm just a little concerned about how, and I, I know Don Sweeney's pulled it off before, um, and he likely may do it again, but that's just, you know, a concern of is that going to prohibit them from actually making some moves to just give them the depth that they need um, to make the run that they should be able to make this season? What's what's going to happen is we saw that with the O'Reilly deal, Maria, is, is Minnesota jumps in and takes half of the cap. And so you're going to have to find third parties in a lot of these deals and a lot of these, all, all the teams that are, are challenging and, and trying to go for it and making these big deals all are up against the cap. Leafs are, were no different, Tampa, Boston, Carolina, everyone's up against the cap. So you're going to need these third-party teams to take half of half of half in salary, and then that daily usage of the cap does make a bit exponentially changes as we get closer. So the deal that gets done today, that cap number is so far less for the teams on deadline day. So that's why you're also seeing some of these things get played out a little bit longer because teams want to wait on on players that they know they can get right up until the deadline and, and allow another team to jump in and take half of the retention for a fourth round pick that, that Minnesota did the other day. So there's ways around the cap issue. Bruins shouldn't have an issue with any of those. It, it's more a matter of, of picking the right player and, and that, that works for this group. Yeah. And you're right. Like you'd have to throw in a sweetener uh, to get someone to retain salary or a sweetener to move one of those salaries off your roster you know, to Maria's point, like if those guys already went on claim, no one's taking them for free. They don't have value in a trade. So you're the one who then asked, you know, like the Bruins did with David Backus a couple years ago, where, you know, part of you're not trading a first round pick just for Andre Kasha. Part of that was also to dump David Backus' salary. Yeah, I don't see anyone you want to dump here. Either. I, I know Craig Smith. I, I like where Craig Smith is in that third, fourth line. Like you're going to need him. Come playoff time. He's a veteran guy. He can chip in. He can be a he scored overtime goals for this Boston Bruins team. He he hasn't had the season that everyone expects. He's not, might not be a top six guy for a Stanley Cup team, but he's an important piece for this. I don't think he's a guy you're gonna ship off 
to try and save cap with a draft pick. He, he's he's valuable to this group and and fits in really well. Yeah, and you know the one other thing you could you can do is like if you're looking at say a really elite top defenseman, you know obviously Jacob Chickren's the big name out there, but there's even been rumors like Matthias Ekholm's name has popped back up again. You could you know you could trade a Grizzly or Carlo. I don't think the Bruins want to do that. Um, but, you know, to Maria's point, like, those are guys who have battled injury issues, and the reason it hurts in the playoffs when those guys go down is is that they're so important to your team. Mm-hmm. You know, when Matt Grizzly gets hurt in the 2019 Stanley Cup final, that hurt you. Yeah. When Brandon Carlo went down against the Islanders, that hurt. Um, the thing is, is there are so many defensemen that have those same issues. Like, we notice it with those guys – because they're here, but look around the league. Like, all right, I just mentioned Chikrin as the top name in the market. Look at his injury history. He's had a bunch of them, and he's only 24 years old. So Colorado lost Samuel Girard in the first round of the playoffs last season. Yep. They had to they had to duct tape their defense. And and you when you have Kale McCarr, it works. But but they lost lots of guys last season, and they went through three goalies to win a cut. Like yeah. Tampa is the same thing. The last few years, they you know they got to the playoff, they got to the finals without Braden Point last season. You're going to lose guys, and and to your point, they're going to be valuable, and, and they are going to be important. And you you have to get some luck to to dodge those things. There's nothing you can do about it come playoff time. Yeah, and on the Swayman thing, I'll before we get put to a break, ball on it, please put yeah, a ball I'll put, on that. Put so my we don't thoughts have to on talk this. Whatever again. Uh, the I think one of the biggest mistakes people are making here is the assumption. And Razor, you touched on this, that they're not going to use him or need him in the playoffs. Big mistake, in my opinion. Uh, there is no guarantee that Linus Elmark is clearly better than Jeremy Swayman by the time the playoffs start. There is no guarantee that even if Elmark is your game one starter, that he holds up for four rounds if you make a run to the Stanley Cup final. I think it is more likely than not that they're going to use both goalies at some point during the playoffs. And by the way, I'm inter- I'll, I want to get your thoughts on this after the break. I don't think it's completely out of the question that they even have some sort of rotation in the playoffs. This is working so well for them in the regular season. And I know it would be almost unprecedented to do it in the playoffs, but the elite level of goaltending that they're getting from both of these guys is also unprecedented. Um, so I, Going to get Razor's thoughts on that after the break. This is Sunday Skate. Scott McLaughlin and Andrew Raycroft. You can call in 617-779-7937. Text us at 37937. We'll be back for our final segment after this. Fitzy and Hart coming up at 10 right after us. At 11, rather. A-U-D-A-C-Y. Type that into your app search, then download. This is Sunday Skate on WEEI. Wrapping up with Finn Lizzie. Yeah. One of my favorite Twitter accounts, there's, there's an account that just tweets out one line of lyrics to this song like every hour and just repeats forever. It's been going on for like a decade. Um, all right, we're back to wrap up Sunday Skate. I'm Scott McLaughlin with Andrew Razor Raycroft, Bridget Prue behind the glass. Uh, Going to run through a couple of text messages we've gotten here. Uh, will Taylor Hall be back next year? Does he have any value? Taylor Hall has two more years. He does have value. Most importantly, he has value to the Bruins. 
He is part of what they're doing moving forward, not just this season. Uh, should Sweeney have gotten Horvat? Bo no. Horvat, who got traded to the Islanders. A player I like could be part of your center solution moving forward had they gotten him. But Islanders gave up a lot. They traded, had to trade off their active roster with Anthony Beauvillier, you know, talented young forward. Bruins probably would have had to given up someone like a Brandon Carlo or, you know, Pavel Zaka, you just signed to an extension. You're not giving up DeBrusque for Horvad. So I wouldn't have done that with, you know, that caveat of if you're trading someone who's already playing an important role for your team, especially if it's a defenseman like Carlo, then you're subtracting from a key area. And, you know, they don't need the forward upgrade enough to subtract from the defense. Just like we've talked about, they don't need it enough to subtract from your goaltending, which is the best goaltending tandem in the NHL by far. Um, another text, Don Sweeney needs to make a move. Does does Don Sweeney need to make a move just so team, the team thinks he's all in or other teams think he's all in? I don't really think so. I mean, look, it does raise, you can probably speak to this more, like it, it does help in the room when, when your GM adds, it gives you belief, but... I think this team already has plenty of belief. They they know what's at stake. They know the questions around the futures of Bergeron and Krejci. Like, they're as all-in as all-in can be, you know, no matter what Don Sweeney does. No question. And they and they know Don Sweeney's all-in on this team. Uh, yes, the Toronto Maple Leafs had a huge bump yesterday. When they wake up in the morning and they see Ryan O'Reilly's coming to their team, that's a huge bump. That's like, all right, it's playoff time. Here we go. Let's go. Uh, that and that means something to quite a few teams. I don't think it'll mean as much to the Bruins this year. And again, you're 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 doing it at the concern of of losing a roster player and or putting someone out of place in that roster. So I think it's it's a little bit different with this Bruins team and what kind of chemistry they already have and what kind of belief that they have leaned into for two months now. And this is Stanley Cup or bust already. Uh, some teams need that at the deadline to recognize. The Bruins have already recognized that. Okay, so I want to get your thoughts on what I mentioned before the break because they have this incredible goalie rotation going where Allmark has been arguably the best goalie in the NHL all season. Swayman has been arguably the best goalie in the NHL over the last two months. He has actually statistically been even a little bit ahead of Allmark over that time. This rotation is working so well. It was one thing in the past for me where you split starts during the season, you get two gives rest, and then you know it's two Rask, game one, every game throughout the playoffs, as long as he's healthy, sometimes even when he wasn't healthy. Um, you know, that was a little different because two Rask had done that before. Allmark and Swayman, those guys haven't been the number one every game for four straight rounds. Is the idea of Splitting starts in the playoffs, keeping a rotation going in the playoffs, crazy. I Not crazy. I think it will take big cojones uh, to win game one and then play a different goalie in game two. I So I don't see a straight rotation happening. I, I, don't, I don't think that happens. Now, if the Bruins go down in a series, they win game one, they lose game two and three, would they go to game, another guy in game four, change the momentum. Yes, I can see those kinds of scenarios within the series, early in series where you switch a goalie out who might not have played great. You want to get the other guy some reps. I could see that happening more so than the straight 
game on, game off, game on, game off. I, I think that can disrupt everybody's timing, and you get into you, you get into a bit of a mind game where you play a guy, he wins, then you lose the next game playing the other guy. Now you go back and you start just having question marks. So both guys are going to play. I agree with you. Again, Colorado used three guys last year to win a Stanley Cup. I can see the Bruins using two guys going on a long run. I just don't think it'll be a straight rotation. I think that'll take too too much uh, overthinking from coaches to do that. I mean, heck, the the Bruins have faced teams that have used three goalies in a series. Exactly. And, no, you know, the, the Carolina, Carolina used three last year. Washington used three the year before. Like it yeah, happens. Yeah, it does. So, it happens. So and, you're going to see both guys. Yeah. To your point, like. Imagine the, I mean, Don Sweeney's out of it. If Don Sweeney trades away one of these goalies, <laughs> yes, and then the yes, other yes. one, the other one gets injured or goes cold. On March fifth, he gets knocked out for the season. The other guy. Imagine what <laughs> what we're talking about. Like uh, just the picture that. So imagine sitting there and actually thinking that they haven't thought of that and thinking that they're going to make a deal and r- risk that. It's it's bananas. Yeah, I don't think like anyone even needs to talk to Don Sweeney if that happens. Like he's just <laughs> oh. he's just going to walk out, pack his bags on his own. Like <laughs> exactly, it's nuts. Uh, yeah, I mean, look. You better the, be getting Connor McDavid for that deal. If you, if and, you, you know, right, I guess every thing. deal has a price. I suppose if you're getting a Connor McDavid for Jeremy Swayman, you have to pull the trigger on that. But I don't see that being the case either. Yeah, that's the other thing. Like, I don't even think that player is available that I would even consider including Swayman for. It's not to me. It's not Chikrin. It's not even Timo Meyer because he's only a rental. Um, Going to be a lot more trade talk to come. Another week for us before the trade deadline. This was Sunday Skate with Scott McLaughlin and Andrew Raycroft. We're back again next Sunday at 10 a.m. Fitzy and Hart coming up next. Thank you for listening.